Welcome to STR Like The Best. I'm your host, Michael Chang. I'm super excited to have my good friend, Jeremy Warden on. He's a fellow short-term rental operator, owner, and is involved in some really cool businesses. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Michael, thanks for having me. Perfect. All right, so the way I want to start the show is tell us a crazy story that's happened in one of your 25 Airbnb listings. Yeah, so a couple of years ago, we had guests book the property and film a porno movie, which was pretty okay. interesting. That was not something that you know I thought people do, but apparently people do book properties for things like that. Okay, hopefully you're able to upcharge them for the commercial use of your property. Yeah, made for an awkward conversation. I'll just say that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sounds good. All right, why don't you give, so outside of running a studio for adult films, tell us about, give us a little bit more of your background. What, what kind of, I know you're involved in a bunch of different strategies for Airbnb. Maybe talk a little bit more about that and so the guests, can, the audience can understand how you operate your business. Yeah, so beyond the niche of porn studio, I actually started with the short-term rental niche of boat rentals. Boat rentals. Back at the beginning of COVID, at the time I was co-hosting a single Airbnb property and wanted to offer a boat to that property as well as potentially other Airbnbs in the area around that particular lake. Purchased first pontoon boat, rented it to the first guest. It went really well, made a really high return on investment from that first renter and got more boats. So initially actually really started short-term rentals via boat rentals through wow. conversations with different renters of the boat. Started actually kind of getting into communication about managing different homeowners, like pro lake house properties. So really started with Airbnb, but really like my first legit business, I would say like 2020 was when it was like, I'm going... I'm, I've made a determination that this is going to be my full-time business. Like this is going to get me out of my job and really went balls to the wall on boat rentals first. And then Airbnb opportunities started arising from that. Let me pause you for a second there. So boat rentals, right? It sounds like it was really lucrative. Just give us a sense, like how much does a boat cost and then how much are you renting it for? It's probably like, I think during the summer, right? Probably in the winter, you're not renting a lot of boats. It's probably for, for pretty cold on the, on the lake. Yeah. So I would say that timing was also like the perfect time to start a boat rental business. In general, not even at that particular lake, but at that particular lake, there was one boat business that shut down due to COVID and probably some other reasons too. So we were the only boat rental business at a time when boating was seen as like the safest COVID friendly activity you could possibly do. It was outside. There's a lot of airflow. People can sit far away from each other on these boats. And so it was crazy. The first boat we bought for 5,600 and pricing for boats at that time was a lot less than they were a year later. There was yep. huge inflation in boat pricing, but March of 2020, people were scared about a recession. So they were offloading their boats. So I bought the first one, 5,600. Our first renter rented it for a week for about $2,000. Oh, wow. Okay. So you got back on a 30 year investment just with the first rental. So that's a, that sounds like a great business. And it's actually really interesting to hear that you were able to use that as a lead gen tool to go and build out your co-hosting business. Okay, so you have the co-hosting business. Do you do any other strategies with Airbnb? Yeah, so really it was a lead gen tool for conversations. And the conversations was, wow, you're doing boat rentals and wait, you also, could you do houses too? Yeah, totally, I could do that. So it just started those conversations and there were some homeowners who they wanted to use the house personally they, they want like that co-host relationship made sense for them and then there were some where hey do you want to just rent my house would you just pay me a fixed monthly price and for them it's just easier that way 
They just know exactly how much they're gonna make. So I started with co-hosting and arbitrage. The houses were doing really well. The boats were doing really well, but the houses, it was just eye-opening to me as well. Holy crap, these houses are doing incredibly well. I know how much they cost. I can run the numbers, and these are a really good investment buying them as well. But I, just, like, I want to pause there on the arbitrage. So just give like the first one, like what did you rent it for and like how much money did it make? Just to give people a sense of, you know, it sounds, it looks pretty good to rent, a, to buy a boat for 5,600 and make 2,000 for the first rental. Ar like arbitrage wise, what do those numbers look like? Yeah, so early on, trying to think toward like first, some of our first deals for arbitrage deals, it was like, so like honestly, most of the people, and even to this day, most of the arbitrage partners I have had or landlord, they've been in the process of either buying something or renovating it. So in that first one, the owner was like, hey, look, my mortgage is going to be $2,000 here. Like they just told mm -hmm. me what their mortgage was going to be. And I was like, all right, I'll pay you three. I'll pay you $3,000. And you know, that worked. I think that property made 80 grand or 85, 80 to 85 the first wow. year. So I was like six, seven, seven G's a month. So pre pretty good wedge in the middle. That's fantastic. And look, that's the power of arbitrage, right? You don't have to make that full investment. Every arbitrage, for people that don't know, that's you when you rent a property and you have an owner's explicit permission to re-rent that property at Airbnb. So you're making a difference between what you can make on Airbnb and what you're paying for long-term rent. So that's a strategy that I use, that a lot of people use to be able to build out an Airbnb business in a capital efficient way because you're not buying a property, you're not, mortgage, you're not paying the mortgage, you're just renting it. And it allows you to get a lot of properties very quickly. So Jeremy, how many properties do you co-host, do you manage, I'm oh, sorry, do you arbitrage and do you own now? Yeah, so it even gets confusing for me because I've every time I've even bought a property, have raised money to buy them. And some of the properties we've bought, I co-host. So it's own the properties and also have a co-host relationship with the properties. Some of them we've bought, I also arbitrage. So it muddies it, but I'm just gonna, for ones we own, I'm just gonna say we own them. I'm not gonna say co-hosting or arbitrage, even though yeah. Technically, they're a little bit of too much info here, so I'll just simplify it for you guys. We own eight. I have a Airstream camper, Fantastic. so I own the Airstream camper. So, it can, including that, own nine, and then co-host. I think seven. So that means, and then twenty-five That's minus 16. seven minus nine is, and then nine <laughs> arbitrage. Awesome. That's a lot to do. Which strategy do you like? I guess as you think about the different strategies, which how do you think about the pros and cons of each approach? Like for people that are out there that are considering co-hosting versus arbitrage versus buying, now that you do all three, right, and you have the camper, so you're doing glamping as well, how do you think of four different strategies? How do they work together? And I guess which one do you like the most? Yeah, so I would say definitely when you start, beggars can't be choosers. I had my salary had recently got cut by my employer to the point where I had to leave New York where I was living at the time and move back home with my parents. I needed the quickest path to get out of my job. So to me, it was a simple calculus. It was I'm deploying capital intensively in boats. I'm deploying capital intensively in arbitrage and I'm deploying to buy. So I was capital constrained. So I really, co-hosting at the beginning was great because it required no, no capital. So, I, and I think there's definitely a big evolution you have. Everyone has an evolution in life, evolution in business. But for me, it was co-hosting initially was a great way to, to get cash so that I could then deploy. But a couple years into the game, you know, now that I have that, that quote unquote freedom that people talk about, 
but my priorities have changed. I have cash, like all these properties we've bought, these arbitrage units, the boats all produce cash. So I don't necessarily need to rely on co-hosting as much anymore. And I would say that like co-hosting in many ways is the most, is the most akin to having a job because you mm -hmm. have a homeowner who owns the property and ultimately they're your boss, you're their client or yep. sorry, they're your client. So I've moved away from co-hosting and I'm trying to build the other parts of the portfolio more, not even from a financial standpoint, but more just like, why am I doing this in the first place and what I enjoy doing? Yeah. And that's actually, that's, you hit on a good point. And that for me was why I, we had two co-hosting properties here in Manhattan when we started and they were, they were these were like multi-million dollar properties are great. And the owners were really easy to work with. They didn't, as long as we, they, knew us, they knew us, we all knew each other and they left us alone. We just operated a business. We sent them the check afterwards. But you're right. Like, the reason we didn't want to do that, we didn't want to expand that business is because you have, it's a job, right? You have to service that client. And if, when you're doing arbitrage, you pay the rent and the landlord doesn't, you never hear from the landlord. And that's what we want, right? We don't, we don't, we're already dealing with the guests. You don't really want to deal with the landlord as well. So for us, arbitrage is a lot more scalable. So it sounds like you went on that journey too, where you needed the cash in the beginning and then to replace the income. And then as your businesses started producing cash, this is less of a focus. So how do you think about, I guess, how do you think about arbitrage versus buying? I think that's, a, that's another big question people have out there is they're like, I have money to buy. Why would I want to arbitrage? How do you think about that? Yeah, and I would say one thing with co-hosting, the only place I do co-host, technically it's two places. One is an 80 acre estate that's an, on Airbnb logs. And it's just such a cool property that I wanted to be involved with it. I was like, this is a beautiful property. The owner has done an incredible job. Like it's just a, something I want to be involved with. It's on Airbnb Lux. It's the first Smoky Mountains property on the Airbnb Lux platform. Second, the lake that I, where most of my co-host properties are, for me, it was like scale. Like I wanted my team to my team there. So we have a full-time crew. I wanted to have them full-time. And if they were only doing our properties, then they would have to do other people's properties. And they would have to, you know, if something happened, like they wouldn't be on call to, to do what we're doing because they were helping other people out too. So by managing properties, like we have them, we have them full-time. We also have the boats. So yep. it was helpful to just build scale for a specific operation. Got it. So, that, so that's how you thought about arbitrage and arbitrage co-hosting just so that you can build that scale. And I actually very much agree with that because when you buy, you can only buy a few, you buy one or two, depending, unless you're really rich, you can only buy one or two properties at a time. And then it's just hard, really hard to, to feed a team. And that's for us, like, that's why we built arbitrage in Philadelphia and Tennessee. We have 20 arbitrage properties in Philadelphia, six in Tennessee, six that we own in Tennessee. And it gives us that scale, at least from the business side. So internally, we have a team that handles all the operations. And just to handle one or two, it doesn't really make sense. But when you have 26, you can you definitely enjoy those economies of scale. And then do you think that with co-hosting and arbitrage to start, that's helped you buy, make that decision to buy? Because that's obviously a big financial decision. Take on the mortgage. I know you have partners. Just talk, talk through that process. Yeah, so I would say, obviously, financially, it helped, especially over time. But at the beginning, what it really helped was building that track record. Because like you said, mm -hmm. I have partnerships. I've raised money. And in order to raise capital, I had to show a track record. I didn't necessarily need to show a track record of properties I had purchased before 
but I just had to show that I knew what I was doing and mm -hmm. I could go on my Airbnb app and it doesn't matter if you co-host, if you arbitrage, if you own, it shows up on the app and looks exactly the same. So I was able to show my Airbnb profile, my, my five-star reviews, the payouts that I had been, that I had been getting. And that gave investors confidence to give me money. Got it. So not only does it help you scale the operations, it also helps you have that track worker so we can go out and raise money. And then do you invest in these deals as well? Yeah, put up capital until, until. Perfect. Yeah, and I think that's what investors want to see, right? They want to see someone that's willing to put their own skin in the game too. It's, I think as an investor, for me, it would be tough for someone to just, you put in all the money and they don't put anything in and you feel like if something, something goes wrong, then I'm the one holding the bag. You want the person that's, that brought you the deal, that's operating a deal to also have an equity stake, a real equity stake in the, in the property. So I definitely see that a lot where you see some, some of the people out there raising money, they don't put any of their own money in there. And that for me has always been a kind of red flag. If you're not willing to, this is such a great deal, you're not putting your own money in, what, like, you know, what's going on here? That, that's, that, that's great that, that that happens for you. And tell us the clamping. I actually don't know as much about clamping. How does that work? Does it, does, is it just as profitable as your other ones? Is it hard to run? Yeah, so clamping for me got started. I told you about that 80-acre estate that I manage. It's an Airbnb Lux beautiful it has natural waterfalls has half a mile of shoreline it's insane and in order to monetize that property as much as possible you have to make use of the the land and that's what glamping is it's just essentially making use of desirable land so i pitched that homeowner on essentially building tiny homes on wheels and delivering them to the property and parking them all over it and he was he was bullish on the idea but he was hey have you ever done this before? And it's the same thing with a track record. Do I have a track record on that? To which I was like, I don't right now. And then that kind of got my mind sparked. And I literally was at home at my parents' house in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, just like on a walk, just thinking. And I was walking around the property and I went, wait a minute. I looked down, I said, I could park a camper right here. And it would be like, we could make a glamping situation. Figured it out, built a driveway, built a second driveway to go mm -hmm. to the corner of my, my parents' property in rural North Carolina and figured out the logistics of power, water, septic, all the infrastructure needed to make it happen, which I didn't, I, in, in hindsight, I underestimated the amount of logistical infrastructure you would need to create one of these clamping experiences and bought a, bought an Airstream camper, had a friend who had been renovating buses pitch him on the idea of renovating it, I paid him. So it wasn't as much of pitching as, hey, I'll pay you this much to do this. But renovated an Airstream camper, made it look really nice. Very cool. Got it parked, created that Instagrammable experience. And it's been up for about nine months and has been doing pretty well. Yeah, I, I'm a numbers guy. So I'm gonna ask you like, how much is the camper and what do you do per month on that camper? Yeah, so it was 19.5 to buy. It was about- okay. It was almost 20 grand to renovate. Okay. So you're and 40. then the site prep was another, like the driveway plus upgrading. So this, the one variable I didn't consider was having to upgrade the electrical of the house because mm. I thought you could just run a long power outlet and plug it in. That's not the case. If you expect to have air conditioning, if you expect to have heating, all these things, then you need, you need 120 amp service which the house did not have enough space on the breaker for that. So I had to up, upgrade my parents' electrical, which, so the site prep 
was a little bit over 10,000. So let's just say all in for 50 grand and it's been earning about, it's been netting about $2,000 a month. Okay. 20, 24 grand a year. That's great. You're gonna pay back, pay back two years and you own a camper. And it's, that, that's really neat, that's cool. It's also um, a depreciable asset that you can section 179 and write off <laughs> the entirety of the purchase theory, you buy it. There you go, there you go. In the tax game too, I love it, I love it. It's all about, yeah, we probably won't hit on it here much, but I'm a huge proponent of bonus depreciation. I've been telling you to get your bonus depreciation for your properties. I just got my tax form back and I'm around 10% federal tax rate this year. So it's a really powerful thing. When I was investing banking, like I was paying like 55% overall and now being able to pay in the mid-teens is it's just such a game changer. So I encourage anyone out there that if you have a high W-2 job, you live in a high tax state like in New York City or a location like New York City for me. really for me. North Carolina for you, exactly. It is. It really behooves you to understand how this you can you can use short-term rentals to lower your tax rate and really increase the ROI of these investments. It's very powerful. It's very powerful. Okay, so Jeremy, let's recap. So you started with boats, and that got you into co-hosting, which got you into arbitrage and buying houses. You have twenty-five listings. You also have another glamping site. Um, I really like the software that you've made that, that you've taken this experience. Tell us about BNB Calc. Yeah, and this is going to tie into the raising money partnerships at the beginning. But when I, when I would find an opportunity, we had to do very extensive underwriting. We had to know that these things would make money. Like I'm not raising money from people and going into something that's not going to do well. And also initially I started, I didn't start with a lot. So I needed to maximize my ROI on every deal in order to be able to do more of them. Underwriting deals at scale, like being able to quickly find a property, determine how much it's going to make, and then communicate that to folk has been very important. Initially, I had an Excel spreadsheet that developed that was helpful at doing this, but Excel spreadsheets inherently have issues. A, like you can't really do an Excel spreadsheet on your phone. You can only do it on the computer. B, it's hard to share Excel spreadsheets. And there's a lot of data online that essentially you need to copy and paste from. So, you know, and AirDNA is an example, but tax information, all this other stuff, you have to go copy and paste online to your Excel spreadsheet. Whereas with software, you could just automatically pull this data online. So wanted a tool for myself, like selfishly, hey, I run the numbers on so many properties. I know that an app can make this faster. So yep. we built out an app to help ourselves run the numbers on more deals. And then decide, all right, let's open the floodgates and let's let other people use it as well. So that's BNB Calc. It is the quickest and easiest way to do a pro forma financial analysis on a property. That's fantastic. And that's, I think that's a great way to, to build the software tool, right? It's and a lot of great tools that have been developed that way. It's you build something for yourself, right? You build something like, hey, there's this need out there that it's not being met by the market. And then once that's built out and there's value there, you let it out into the wild and see. So it's a great product. I use it as well. That's something that is a really valuable tool for people that are looking to analyze Airbnb properties with a high level of precision that, you know, if you don't want to mess around with spreadsheets. So look, you got a lot of stuff going on, right? You have all these, a lot of Airbnbs, you have the software business. How do you divide your time? What do you, how do you decide where you're going to spend your time to focus on? Because there's a lot of things going on. They all are very profitable, but how do you decide, Hey, this is the strategy that I want to focus on in 2023 because it's going to provide me the most leverage, most profitable. How do you think, how do you think about that? 
Yeah, so great question. And honestly, this is something I ask myself all the time. And I, I think that the evolution of why a lot of folk get into short-term rentals in the first place is to give themselves that time freedom. And for me, and probably for you, for that matter, we probably could at this point figure out how to, what's the easiest things we do that make the most money, and we could go chill on a beach. We have our virtual assistants. We have our operations in place. If we wanted to F off, we could. But obviously that's not, we wouldn't be here in the first place if that's who we were. So for me, it's what do I want to, what do I enjoy doing? What, how do I want to grow as an individual? How do I want to leave some degree of legacy for myself, my kids that I don't have at the moment, but <laughs> moving forward. And for me, community of late have been really thinking hard about community. Like how do I build a community of great people who are all like going after goals and ambition together? One example of that is our BNB Calc community. We have folk who are running the numbers, who are trying to launch, either launch or scale their businesses. Having a tool that makes it quicker and easier for that is awesome. One level beyond that. So obviously there's, we have thousands of, of folk running the numbers. I can't talk to every single one of them. I can't look at every deal they have but have a couple weeks ago, did a mastermind retreat for folk that I'm working with on a more one-to-one -one basis. And I, I have a mentorship program where we use our software, but really it's like, how do we get you from where you are to where you wanna be? And if we're able to get you from where you are to where you wanna be, in that process, you are gonna develop skills, you're gonna become really good at this, and then you're gonna be a valuable member of a community. So. I guess how I look at it now is I'm really investing in building a great community, whether it be a social media community, but even a more, a deeper network of folk who are ambitious to do the same things and just really drive that for the next several years and see where that takes us. Look, you're doing a lot of really cool stuff and you're about 26 years old and you've accomplished so much since, and it, so much in over the last few years. Sounds like COVID is when left your full-time job and embarked on this journey. How was that to leave your full-time job though, right? It's obviously like a difficult situation. Obviously COVID accelerated a lot of these trends. As you, as you think back to that journey, what was it that led you to say, hey, they cut my salary and I'm just done. I'm gonna go and do something. I'm gonna build something on my, I'm gonna build something for myself. Yeah, and I, honestly, I think it was the realization that other people could affect my mood and well-being, that I could get a text from an employer going, hey, you get paid too much. Obviously it wasn't real exactly like that, but the money's not coming in for us. It's going out to you. This math doesn't work. We're gonna have to do something about it. And the fact that that obviously gets me concerned about my well-being, about my situation. And I was like, I, you know what? I wanna live and die by my own sword. If I can't have someone else be able to have that much control over how my mental state so that, that for me was like my back against the wall moment of I'm gonna, I'm gonna try my own thing. And if it succeeds, great. If it doesn't succeed, whatever. At least it was my own doing. Yeah. And look, I think it's, you're right. That's like a lot of us that were, that used to be in W2 jobs, myself, right? It was just, you don't have control over your life. And sometimes it's not about the money. It's just about being in control of your own destiny. And obviously money is a big part of that, right? You need money to survive and support a family, but Ultimately, you got to swing the bat, right? If you never swing the bat, you're never going to see what you can do. And that's it, great that you, at such a young age, did that. I didn't do that till I was like 36. So you've made some great progress along the way. And I enjoy this journey along with you, seeing us trading ideas, 
seeing the different parts of the business that you're growing. It's been really helpful for me. I look forward to being on this journey together, together as we roll through the new year. As we transition to the end of the conversation, how do you think about that? What are you, what's the one or two goals that you want to, at the end of this year, that you want to hit? Is it a certain amount of listings? Do you want to buy more property? Do you want to get more users on B&B Calc? Is there, are there some metrics that you're shooting after? Yeah. And just kind of touch my earlier point. Like I had even previous to my last job, like I have tried a couple businesses before. Like I've always, pl- I played sports. I was always ambitious to do something out of the box, but ultimately like I would start businesses with other people where they had brought the money to the table. Like they, ha- it was their businesses. And even though it was like entrepreneurial to an extent, like ultimately it was other people's businesses. And I needed a way to start a business that was my business. And so if BNB Cal, for instance, if I was going to start that today, it would have cost six digits, well over six, six digits, like hundreds of thousands in, in development. I wouldn't have been able to do that two or three years ago. I would have had to have a partner who would have brought the money in and ultimately it would have been like their business that I would have been a part of. And this is what we talk about freedom. Freedom for me is can be freedom to be able to fund my own businesses moving forward. And that's, that's an example with BNB Calc now. I couldn't have done that a couple of years ago because I did not have the resources. So moving forward, talking about now that I have resources, I want to buy my own property. I've never bought my own house. I've only partnered. And there's a multitude of reasons. The main one being I didn't have the financing history that a bank required. I was, when I start, first started buying houses, I was 23 years old. I'd only had a credit card for 18 months or something. Like that alone, only having a credit card for less than two years disqualified me from getting a loan. So now that I have financial history, I have finances, I'm going to buy my own house. <laughs> That's a goal. So Fantastic. I'm going to do that this year. Uh, I'm right. my brokerage license so I can get that 3% when I buy my own house. There you uh, go. Shout out, to my, shout out to Mike Chang for motivating me to get my real estate license. Hey man, you want to go fast, you go alone, you want to go far, you go with the team. I'm happy that we found each other and that you're in New York or that you spend some time in New York, but that we're able to looking at some really interesting stuff and for us, right, I think Airbnb, you know, Airbnb, the arbitrage business, we still are firm believers in it, firm believers in the Philadelphia oh, yeah. market, continue to grow there. And yeah, buying your own house, like we didn't, I bought my own house, we bought our own house like maybe two years ago. It is a nice feeling to just have just yourself, for me and my wife on the title. And to your point, it goes back to your earlier point, right? It's about versus where you were in businesses that it was entrepreneurial, but you, it was someone else's money. So you were involved, but it wasn't really yours, but having something that's just truly yours and you're the ultimate decision maker. I think you've shown that when you've had that power, you've been able to really scale these businesses in a, in a very meaningful way. And I'm sure you're going to be able to do that with this house that you're going to buy this year. Yeah. Excited for that for you. The final question I ask all my guests is obviously business and team sport. You need a support network around you to help you move and help support you. What is the kindest thing that someone's done for you in the Airbnb business? Oh, wow. That's a good question. And I want to actually not take a step back here, but also applaud you and your way of thinking about this. I think that's different than a lot of the folk out there. But in terms of, yeah, definitely want to grow the Airbnb portfolio, want to buy my own house, but really being selective about not just growing for the sake of growing, like unit count for the sake of unit count. Because I definitely feel like a lot of folk do that. Like I want X amount of units. And I think that approach is just going to lead you. It doesn't end well. Whereas being very thoughtful about every deal I'm doing is for the right reason and is conservatively underwritten is super important. So still going to add to the portfolio, but 
I'm not like, oh, I need 45 listings by this year. If the opportunities present themselves on a case-by-case basis, we'll go for it. But don't feel pressured at all to, to just grow for the sake of growing. Um, Absolutely. That is and, like a and, core concept. And I know concept. you share that, that mindset <laughs> Absolutely. Well. Absolutely. Just for quantity. doesn't matter in doors, revenue. It's what is the after-tax cash flow that you bring in, right? That, that for me is the most important metric. But even like a landlord that you trust, one where your lease ends, you're not worried about them spiking your rent. They know you're making money, so they they shoot your rent up and cause some stress there. Just like everything, good situations, working, partnering with people you trust and you like. Yeah, absolutely. Building a team in the right network is is super important. And we've been lucky to work with some really good landlords that have been there to support us and able to continue to grow our operations in, in just with one landlord, one building, or in, in their buildings. It's just made life a lot easier. Now that you have a chance to think about it, is there some kind act that, that, that you remember that, that someone's done for you that, to help you along in this journey? Yeah, so obviously there's like the random things that a lot of guests are. You hear the horror stories, and I've certainly had them, but you get a lot of kind guests staying at your properties, so... We had one at the newest property we bought. Our first guest was like, hey, I noticed you guys don't have a grill. My, my dad really likes this place. He wants to buy you guys a grill, like out of being so thankful that you've provided this experience for his whole family to like get under one roof together. So that, that was moving. We didn't take him up on it. We actually ended up, I ended up, wait, we don't have a grill? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> shit, we forgot that. And then we ended up buying a grill and delivering it to the house. I was just gonna provide a grill. But that was like really nice. We hadn't had a guest who'd offered to buy us a $500 grill before. But yeah, in terms of team, I mean, we have a team of virtual assistants, definitely super helpful, especially when they take initiative to to do things. Because I I feel like that's the issue people get with hiring is like people need to really have their hand held and be reminded of tasks to do. So it's always you feel really good when like someone takes initiative to do something, whether it be a virtual assistant or just someone in your workforce, American as well for me. So that's anytime someone takes initiative and does something without being asked, I'm like, I won the fucking lottery. <laughs> that's very good. I'm glad, I'm glad. Uh, that's really nice of that guest to, to do that for you. Like, I thought you were going to say it when I saved your life last week. I thought it was the kindest thing that's ever happened to you. But Oh, yeah, shit, we'll, yeah, we'll, I we'll guess save, you did. Well, we'll save that. Yeah, I saved Mike your life. You know, so, He's very so vigilant. The, the, very vigilant in New York taxi cabs. Admittedly, I granted I was kind of in law land, but yeah, if you want to drive someone a taxi, who's gonna know exactly the car's situation? Oh man, you. yeah, we so, may have not been here if it wasn't for your vigilance. <laughs> we might have been. Uh, I see. Somewhere. So Jeremy and I and Liz, my wife, we went to a conference in Nashville together, and then we took a cab back from LaGuardia, and like the guy was literally going to hit this truck right in front of us. He was like, like looking down luckily, at his phone. He was looking directions. down at his phone and I was like, I'm like, you're a taxi driver. Why is your phone not on the front dash? Like, why is it like under your lap? This actually tells me like not to take cabs. I actually like really reticent, even more reticent now to take cabs. Cause it doesn't happen in an Uber or Lyft. It just happens in New York city cabs. <laughs> you drive all day. Uh, why don't you have the thing at the front? Why are you like, yeah, why, why aren't you looking at the road? We could have we could have gotten in a really bad accident. So luckily, I saw it and I was banging on the window to get the guy's attention, and we we missed the missed what have been a pretty bad accident. But anyways, we're all here and we're we're all standing to powers that be that that saved us. But hey, Jeremy, this is great. I'm really glad we had this conversation, and look forward to more things to come in the next year. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for having me, and uh, yeah, thanks everyone for tuning in.